Russia-Ukraine war U.S. Says 20,000 Russian forces have been killed in five months. Zolan Kano-Young's Mark Santora Christopher Mele Victoria Kim Patrick Kingsley Brendan Hoffman Here's what we're covering. At least 100,000 Russian fighters have been killed or wounded in Ukraine in just the past five months, the White House said on Monday, offering the latest estimate of the vast human toll of President Vladimir V. Putin's invasion. John Kirby, a spokesman for the National Security Council, said the figure included 20,000 Russian fighters who had been killed in action. About half of those were mercenaries for the Wagner Group, the paramilitary force founded by Yevgeny V. Prigazin that recruited heavily from Russian prisons to bolster its ranks and carry out a brutal campaign around the eastern Ukrainian city of Bakhmut. The claims could not be independently verified. In November, General Mark Agamili, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, reported that 100,000 fighters on each side had been killed or wounded since the war began in February 2022. American officials believe the losses have grown for Russia as it has sent waves of poorly trained recruits and convicts to the front lines in Ukraine's east, where months of intense fighting has engulfed the area around Bakhmut, a city that has been central to Mr. Putin's goal of seizing the Donbass region. While both sides have fought bitterly over Bakhmut, military analysts have suggested that control of the city has more symbolic power than strategic importance. Russia's attempt at an offensive in the Donbass largely through Bakhmut has failed, Mr. Kirby said. Russia has been unable to seize any real strategic and significant territory. Estimating casualties is notoriously difficult. Moscow is believed to undercount those killed or injured on the battlefield, and Mr. Kirby did not provide specific details on how the United States had calculated Russia's losses, except to say it involved corroborated intelligence. A trove of leaked Pentagon documents disclosed in April included an American estimate that as of February Russia had sustained 189,500 to 223,000 casualties, including up to 43,000 killed in action. The document also estimated that Ukraine had suffered 124,500 to 131,000 casualties, with up to 17,500 killed in action. Kiev has also been reluctant to disclose wartime losses, and Mr. Kirby did not provide any updates on Ukrainian casualties on Monday. They are the victims here, he said. Russia is the aggressor. The State of the War Stuck in the mud The unusually wet ground this spring is one obstacle that the Ukrainian military, for all of its ingenuity, is finding difficult to overcome as it prepares for a counteroffensive. Russia's Refuseniks Hundreds of Russian men have faced criminal charges for refusing to fight in Ukraine. That has not stopped others from going to unusual lengths to avoid battle. The Pope's Secret Mission After a three-day trip to Hungary, Pope Francis said that the Vatican was involved in a secret mission to stop the war between Russia and Ukraine. KYIV, Ukraine, as Ukrainian forces step up their assaults behind enemy lines, ahead of an expected counteroffensive, Russia is imposing stricter measures on civilians in occupied areas of Ukraine, Ukrainian officials say. Russian occupation authorities have reinforced counterintelligence units and are restricting travel between towns and villages, the Ukrainian military high command said on Tuesday, following efforts to Russify and punish dissent in areas of Ukraine under Russian control. 
The moves come after the Kremlin last week decreed that anyone in occupied areas of Ukraine who does not accept a Russian passport could be relocated from their homes, an edict that has been sowing confusion and fear among Ukrainian residents, according to the Ukrainian military and local officials. On Monday, Ukraine's human rights commissioner urged Ukrainians living under Russian occupation to get Russian passports for their own safety, calling it a matter of survival. Russian security officers have started working in crowded public spaces in plain clothes to track down members of the Ukrainian resistance in occupied areas, according to the National Resistance Center, a Ukrainian government agency that coordinates and tracks activity in those areas. The undercover officers will often initiate conversation, the agency said, to find disloyal citizens. Those who take the bait are forced to continue to collaborate with the Russian occupation regime, the agency said. It is impossible to independently verify much of what happens in Russian-occupied territory, as independent journalists, humanitarian groups and international observers are rarely granted access by the Russian authorities. But the Kremlin has made no secret of its efforts to absorb the regions into Russia, announcing in September that it had annexed four provinces in the south and the east of Ukraine, a move widely condemned as illegal. Ukrainian officials and international observers have said that last week's Kremlin decree permitting the expulsion of residents from occupied regions if they do not obtain Russian citizenship is evidence of Russia's efforts to, to undermine the very idea of Ukrainian statehood. Ukrainian officials typically call on people who live in occupied territories to resist Russia in any way they can, but the advice on how to respond to the pressure to accept a Russian passport has been mixed. While Ukraine's human rights commissioner urged people to get Russian passports for their own safety, Irina Verischuk, a deputy prime minister, asked people not to take them. Sergei Klon, a deputy administrator of the Kherson Regional Council, told Ukrainian television late Monday that he was sorry to see that there was no clear position on what to do because of the enormous pressure on the local population. He said that people are worried they would be considered Russian collaborators if they accepted passports. The United Nations will recognize the 30th anniversary of World Press Freedom Day on Tuesday, at a time when fatal attacks on journalists have increased, especially in the war in Ukraine and in Latin America, and a record number have been imprisoned, according to a watchdog group. Events at the UN to observe the day will feature a program at the General Assembly Hall that includes addresses by A.G. Sulzberger, the publisher of The New York Times, and Almar Latour, the publisher of The Wall Street Journal. World Freedom Day is officially observed on Wednesday. Both newspapers have taken a stand against Russia's detention of the American reporter Evan Gershkovich, 31. Previously employed by The Times, Mr. Gershkovich became a Moscow-based correspondent for the journal in 2022. He was detained in late March while on a reporting trip to the Russian city of Ekaterinburg, swiftly returned to the Russian capital and charged with espionage accusations that the United States considers bogus. A full-page ad, in the journal, The Times and The Washington Post last week said Mr. Gershkovich's arrest was the latest in a disturbing trend where journalists are harassed, arrested or worse, for reporting the news. Among the World Press Freedom events at the UN, panel discussions will focus on threats to journalists, journalism to promote human rights and the future of media. The Committee to Protect Journalists, a watchdog group, reported that at least 67 journalists and media workers were killed in 2022. 
that was the highest number since 2018 and an almost 50% increase from 2021, it said. The committee attributed the increase to the high number of journalists killed while covering the war in Ukraine and a sharp rise in killings in Latin America, where, according to the committee's president, Jody Ginsburg, covering politics, crime, and corruption can be equally or more deadly than covering a full-scale war. Since Russia began its full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year, the killings of 14 journalists and media workers have been confirmed there, the committee said. The most recent was the Ukrainian journalist, Bogdan Bidek, who was shot and killed on Wednesday while working with the Italian daily La Repubblica alongside an Italian correspondent, Corrado Zanino, who was injured. The committee is investigating the circumstances of two other journalists' deaths in Ukraine to determine if they were work-related. So far in 2023, nine journalists and media workers have been killed around the world, including six confirmed deaths directly tied to the journalist's work. The journalist or media worker was murdered, killed in a crossfire or in combat, or while on a dangerous assignment, the committee said. Detaining journalists is even more common. As of December 1, 2022, the committee found that 363 reporters were behind bars, a new global high that surpassed the previous year's record by 20 percent. The committee described the figure as another grim milestone in a deteriorating media landscape. Robert Mahoney, the group's director of special projects, on Monday, noted that independent journalism once blossomed globally as the internet eroded state control of information and the press and introduced publishing freedoms. That later shifted as governments gained new technologies to use as tools of censorship and surveillance, he wrote, adding, journalism needs democracy and rule of law to thrive. It is now losing both. A correction was made on May 2, 2023. An earlier version of this article misstated the given name of an Italian journalist. He is Corrado Zanino, not Carada. How we handle corrections. A village in Russia's Bryansk region near the border with Ukraine was shelled early Tuesday, in the third straight day of security incidents to hit the area as both sides ramp up fighting ahead of an expected Ukrainian counteroffensive. The early morning shelling caused a fire but no casualties, the regional governor, Alexander V. Bogomaz, said on Telegram. He said Ukraine's military was behind the strike on the village, which is less than five miles from the border, without offering details. The claim could not be independently verified. The shelling was the latest in a series of attacks on a border region that Russia has used as a staging ground for air assaults, rocket launches and other attacks on Ukraine. The Ukrainian military has said the region is also increasingly being used to launch drone attacks. Ukraine usually does not claim credit for attacks in Russian territory, but its leaders have said it reserves the right to strike targets used to attack Ukrainian towns and cities. On Sunday, Mr. Bogomaz said, four people in the region were killed by Ukrainian shelling from across the border. Several rockets struck the village of Sezemka, which is a few miles from the border with Ukraine's Sumy region, the governor said at the time. On Monday, an explosion caused a freight train to derail in the region. Mr. Bogomaz said the blast was caused by an unidentified explosive device, the country's rail service placed the blame on an intrusion by unauthorized individuals that led to the locomotive catching fire. 
By Tuesday morning, rail service on the line had been restored, the Russian railway company said on Telegram. About 100 meters of railroad tracks, or about 330 feet, had to be laid anew, according to the company. Ukraine has previously targeted Bryansk, including sending special forces across the border in March to destroy an unmanned observation tower. Also in March, partisans claiming to fight for Ukraine made an armed incursion into a village in the region, briefly taking control and leading to emergency measures from the Kremlin. Kevin McCarthy, the California Republican who became House Speaker in January, made a public promise on Monday to continue supporting Ukraine's war effort, walking back previous suggestions that the new House majority might curtail U.S. military and financial investments in Kyiv's effort to beat back Russia's invasion. Speaking at a news conference in Jerusalem shortly after delivering a speech to Israel's parliament, Mr. McCarthy pushed back forcefully after a reporter for the Russian state news agency RIA Novosti questioned him about whether he might pull back on aid and weaponry for Ukraine. I vote for aid for Ukraine, I support aid for Ukraine, Mr. McCarthy said to the reporter, who had prefaced his question by stating, we know that you don't support the current unlimited and uncontrolled supplies of weaponry and aid to Ukraine. Mr. McCarthy, who has previously said that there would be no blank check for Ukraine, then added a sharp condemnation of Russia's actions in the conflict. I do not support what your country has done to Ukraine, I do not support your killing of the children either, Mr. McCarthy told the Russian reporter. And we will continue to support, because the rest of the world sees it just as it is. The statement stood in sharp contrast to Mr. McCarthy's recent signals regarding assistance for Ukraine, amid pressure from far-right Republican lawmakers to audit U.S. support for Kyiv and cut off American funding for the conflict. Mr. McCarthy's words prompted a flood of cheers from Republican hawks, including former Vice President Mike Pence, who thanked Mr. McCarthy, in a tweet, for calling out Russia with conviction on the world stage. The race, billed as marking the 431st day since Russia's full-scale invasion, also included 10-kilometer and 5-kilometer events. Roughly 1,800 runners showed up in person, and 300 more participated virtually, without the 5K but with the option of logging any distance. Following a route that took them along leafy trails and past a spruced-up Expo Center's horse stable, skate park, restaurants and Soviet-era buildings, the brightly clad runners helped bring some cheer to the gray, cold day. Kosma Zaluski, 19, of Poland, who had pulled his Facebook followers on possible outfits, ran the whole half-marathon in an ancient Spartan's costume and sandals, coming in 203rd overall in under 143. Taking place just two days after a wave of Russian missile strikes left 23 people dead in the central Ukrainian city of Yumen, the event was notable as a sign of Kyiv's tentative return to large-scale public events. An announcer informed participants that in case of an air raid alert, the race would be put on pause and directed runners to the locations of several nearby bomb shelters. Luckily, that was not necessary. One runner, Dimitro, was taking a short break in military service and did not give his last name in keeping with military protocols. He said he was originally from Crimea, the peninsula Russia annexed illegally in 2014 in a precursor to the war. His three goals for running the race said much about embracing this momentary sense of normalcy. I want to help hospitalers, he said. I want to be here with my friends and feel happy and I want to check what kind of shape I'm in.